we have gotten off track with the Lord and some not even realizing it. So tell me, how can someone with a seemingly vibrant relationship with the Lord get off track in the first place? Well, one way of thinking about this is the married couple who found themselves drifting apart after so many years. Well, I don't believe that a married couple can drift apart without them knowing it first. But nevertheless, that's what they say. But for them, life continues. It goes on as if there is no problem. They are cordial towards one another. They continue to sleep in the same bed, go shopping, and not even argue much. But sensing something is not right, the offending spouse, they begin to say things like, haven't I worked every day for this household? Haven't I done everything that's required of me in this house? Haven't I been there for Valentine's Day, for Christmas and Thanksgiving? And then the conversation is forced when the offended spouse tells the other, I don't even know who you are. Well, these are similar words that Christ will declare to those who thought that they were in relationship with him, but were not. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? and do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, how could a person be so confused about their standing with God? How can you not know what your relationship is like with the Lord? Jesus, he makes a direct point about these individuals who put on a really good show. Uh, I call them posers. Uh, that uh, they uh, act like they're one thing, but they're really something else. It's like uh, eating uh, an M&M with nuts on the inside. If you don't like nuts, you begin to suck on that M&M, &M, and that 
sweet, sugary, candy, candy uh, colory outside begins to melt, and then the chocolate begins to dissolve in your mouth, and then you discover on the inside that there is a nut on the inside. Jesus clearly says that the heart behind the person who's a poser, that it is deeply flawed. They were just justifying themselves before the Lord as to the reasons why that they should be allowed into his kingdom. Why should they be allowed entrance into his kingdom? Here's a consideration for the rest of us. Ask ourselves, why should we enter God's kingdom? And let's see if it enters, if it, if it meets the standards of God's kingdom. So in his testimony, these people, they make a list and they check it twice. And then they present it to the Lord. It says, we have prophesied in your name. We have cast out, I mean, who can deny? Come on. If you see someone who's prophesying and it comes true, then you say they must be of God. If you see someone who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus, then we say they must be of God. In fact, they say they did many mighty works. You see all the things that they're doing, and we say to ourselves, they must be of God. And for us, this should also give us pause to know that Every preacher that comes on TV may not be of God. Amen? They may be casting out demons and saying great things, but understand they may not be of God. But for these individuals, you see, saying that they have prophesied, saying uh, that they have healed, uh, saying uh, that they've done mighty works in the name of Jesus, this was their spiritual resume. But please, let's look at a couple of things before we move on. Number one, we see that these people, they were emphatic in getting the Lord's attention as they called him twice. By saying, kurios, kurios, by saying, Lord, Lord. Uh, they, they call them two times. Why do you need to call a person two times? Because you want to get their attention. As I had shared with uh, some of you some time ago, that several times when I was a kid uh, that, you know, my mother, uh, that she had vowed within her heart that she would ignore me. And she went on her business. I would call her and say, Ma. I would say, Ma. And she would just ignore me. And she would tell me, David, I told you that I'm not willing to deal with this now, so just go somewhere. And then I would go to the basement, and I would just start, start saying, Ma, 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 Ma. My, at one time, I did it for a half hour. I did it for a half hour. And then next thing I know, she screamed at the top of her lungs. Can you believe that? She yelled at me. She hurt my feelings. All because I was just a little innocent kid just trying to get her attention. So, uh, number one, I want us to notice here in the passage that they call out uh, the name of the Lord by saying, Lord, Lord, twice, because they want to get his attention. Second, 
while it is difficult for us to see in our English translation, they also emphasize the fact that they did it in the Lord's name. Right? Now for us, as we read the passage, it says here, uh, did we not prophesy in your name? Right? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? Right? Uh, we can get from that and say, well, we can see that in your name is emphasized in the text. But in the original text, it says this. In your name have we not prophesied. In your name have we not cast out demons. In your name have we not done many mighty works. You see, the emphasis was in your name. Name. In other words, all that we did, Jesus, we did in your name. In your name was our calling card. <laughs> it is clear that they were proud of their work, proud of their ministry. And they were willing to set uh, their record before the Lord as a reason uh, to have the Lord to allow entrance for them into his kingdom. Do you have that much confidence in your work, in your ministry? That will you set your work and your ministry before the Lord as a reason as to why he should allow you into heaven? So what then was the problem with these people? What was the problem with these people that the Lord said that I never knew you in the first place? Because obviously it looked like they had the power of God. How can you cast out demons if you ain't got the power of God? How can you, uh, how can you heal folks if you, if you don't have the power of God? So what was the problem with these folks? Here it is. Good works don't always equate with doing the will of God. I'm going to say this again now. Your good works do not always correlate with doing the will of God. Huh. He says here, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the, come on, will of my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> Jesus says, can you believe this, that the people who were prophesying in, the name of, in his name and the people who were healing in his name and casting out demons in his name and doing all these mighty works, Jesus says they were not doing his will. But wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. You mean to tell me that a person who is so deeply immersed in ministry and deeply involved in doing the work of God could possibly not be doing the, the will of God? This doesn't make sense. Because shouldn't we all be doing things that expand God's kingdom on earth? And shouldn't a person 
receive spiritual recognition from the Lord because they are changing lives and giving the credit to the Lord for their success? You see, in our minds, uh, there is a one-on-one -on -one correspondence between what we do and how we are rewarded. Like when you go to work during the week and when you go to work tomorrow and the rest of the week, in a couple of weeks, you're going to expect a paycheck. Or when you work really hard in school, uh, prayerfully, that you'll get an A or something in the same neighborhood uh, as an A when you're done. You see, when we do, we expect a reward from the Lord. But Jesus says, guess what? He said it doesn't work that way in the spiritual world. He says that you can do all that you want to do, but within this, the, the, the spiritual realm, I have a different and a higher standard. See, in the spiritual world, you receive God's grace for doing no work. You receive his grace for setting no goals except to trust in Jesus Christ as your Redeemer and as your Savior. But neither was that work cheap either. Yeah, it didn't cost us anything, but it cost God everything. So within the spiritual world, it is the heart that matters. In the spiritual world, it is the heart that matters, and all of life is the spiritual world. See, some of us, we have got it twisted. We think that there is the world that we live here, and then there is a spiritual realm that we will achieve one day. Want to hear more about that? Listen to last week's message. But we know that uh, the spiritual realm encompasses all of life. From you're going to the grocery store, to you're going to work, to you're going to school, to you're arriving to church, whatever your occupation is, that you are part of the spiritual world. Well, it, in the spiritual world, what matters to God? It is the heart. Now, it, it may be acceptable, right? Uh, for us to approve leaders in our government, in business, whose characters don't hold muster to the standards of God, right? In, in our eyes, uh, that may be acceptable. But you better believe this. Behind every problem of every person that has an issue with their character from the beginning, you better believe that there's going to be a problem later on. It's just a matter, of, a matter of time before that problem does what? Surfaces. So the heart matters in the spiritual world. And all of our existence is the spiritual world. What is, what is, it, when, uh, what is it called when a person does the work of the Lord, yet that is not the will of God? Right? We see here uh, what was going on here in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. Right? In other words, uh, that work is not what the Lord wants him, uh, wants him to do. Uh, he wants them to do something else. What is that call when you're doing one thing, but God wants you to do something else? And here it is. It is rebellion when we do what the Lord doesn't want us to do. Plain and simple. 
It is rebellion when you do what God doesn't want you to do. Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Here's one for you. Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read on. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, you hear that? Among those who are near me, among those who are closest to me, he says, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, Aaron couldn't say a word. But how did the fire offered to the Lord become unauthorized, right? Uh, this has uh, been an issue uh, that has perplexed many biblical students. And I myself, I have uh, studied the theological and exegetical impact of this word unauthorized fire and all its implications. What was it that Nadab and Abihu offered the Lord that was so bad that it cost them their lives? I mean, come on. Uh, they bring incense before the Lord. Uh, God, it wasn't that bad, was it? I mean, really? Was it that terrible? Looking at various translations of this word unauthorized fire, here are some for you. Uh, some translations call it unholy fire. Others call it strange fire. Profane fire. Wrong kind of fire. Or in the Latin, it's known as alien fire. Like a fire from uh, an alien from another planet. Of course, they weren't thinking about, I don't think they were thinking about that when they translated that in, in, into Latin. Uh, alien fire, strange fire. But looking deeper into that word, though, you can look as deep as you want to, and you will discover very little clues as to what it means. The only help we get is that uh, that fire was also peculiar. It was peculiar to God. So, uh, from that biblical perspective, there was nothing too strange or different about the contents or the ingredients of that offering, right? So hear me out. So in other words, the ingredient for that offering could have been the same as the same thing that Aaron offered that he typically made before the Lord. But of course, Scripture doesn't tell us that, so we can't ride on that argument. But here it is. You are in trouble with God when you assume a position or title he never authorized you to take. You are in trouble with the Lord if you assume a position or title the Lord never authorized you to take in the first place. Well, here we go. As I build my 
scriptural case here. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 9. All these are in chapter 9. I want you to see this. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 9. And the sons of Aaron presented to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the... Right? Leviticus 9, verse 12 and 13. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's son handed him the blood, and he threw it against the side of the altar, verse 13, and they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece. Leviticus 9, verse 18. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people, and Aaron's son handed him the blood. Okay? So the responsibilities of Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, was to be assistants. Their responsibility was not to be the one to bring the offering to God. Their responsibility was only to be Aaron's assistant. And that's why we see they handed him this, and then Aaron did the work. They handed him that, and then Aaron did the work. They handed him this, and then Aaron did the work. Aaron was the high priest. You see, some people find it really hard to play second fiddle. And they always covet to be first. Uh, some people are never happy to sit, sit second chair. They don't understand uh, the benefit of sitting second chair and how it, it, it fills everything up and causes the harmony to come together, giving us a very beautiful sound. In other words, Nadab and Abihu, they wanted to be top dog and only wanted to be seen as the leader and doing all the spectacular things and receiving all the praise and the glory because they were in the spotlight. Nadab and Abihu, they were anointed, you see. God, he did anoint those two brothers, but God anointed them to be assistants in the tabernacle. God never anointed them to be the high priest, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 30. Well, how do you know this? Well, number one, here's the case, that we know that uh, not only Aaron, but also Nadab and Abihu, that they all were anointed. They had the hand of God on them. Leviticus 8, verse 30. Here it is. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So there is no question that they were anointed of God. I believe there's a lot of folks out here that are anointed to God today, but the problem with them is that they are in the wrong place. So God's hand was on Aaron and his sons. He was on both of them without question. 
was God who selected them in the first place. God said, uh, give me Aaron. God said, give me Nadab. Uh, God said, give me Abihu. It was God who chose them all. But how can anyone be so dissatisfied with the creator of the universe for personally selecting them for uh, any task, including the ministry of, help, of helps? You know, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be in the hell and to be into hell in hell with the devil and his demons. Any day of a week, I'd rather I'd rather sweep the floors than to be with them. But you still haven't yet seen said whether or not Aaron had a different calling other than from his sons. Well, I think I've already made the case. But here's one more for you: Leviticus chapter eight, beginning in verse seven. Leviticus 8, beginning in verse 7. And he, and this is Moses, put the coat on him, and the him is Aaron. You notice he didn't put the coat on his sons, number one. Put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist. The his was Aaron. And clothed him, this is Aaron, with the robe and put the ephod on him who was Aaron, and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him. The him is Aaron. Verse 8. And he placed the breastplate on him, Aaron, and in the breastplate he put the urim and the thum, right? And he set the turban on his head, on the head of Aaron, not on his sons, and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Uh, even though uh, Nadab and Abihu had garments on, they did not have on all this regalia. They didn't have the bling on. They just had the plain clothes on. But I believe that Nadab and Abihu, that they looked at their daddy and they said, you know what, you know, to each other, we can do that. We are anointed just as much as our daddy is. So because we are just as anointed as our daddy is, we're going to go ahead and take a, a, a step, and then we're going to offer this sacrifice, this incense before the Lord. You see, Nadab and Abihu, they seem to have come before the Lord just to offer incense for no apparent reason. See, they had no reason for doing what they're doing. And not only did they have no animal to offer, but they were the wrong people for the job. God did not choose them for that. They thought just because they were anointed as helpers that automatically God would accept them as high priests. Wrong and wrong again. How can you be so wrong? Anointing in one area of life or ministry does not automatically qualify you in another. You know, uh, one of the things that I've seen it over and over again, I've I've seen it uh, when I was an associate pastor in the past, but I see, I've seen it even more so now as a senior pastor, and that is uh, people who are always uh, trying to take that place. They figure that uh, I'm anointed, you're anointed, so why can't I do what you do? 
And when you squash it down and say, that is a rebellious spirit, uh, they become upset. And they don't understand that they, number one, they do have anointing, but they don't know where that anointing is. They just want to put on all the regalia. God is the one who qualifies. And God is the one who anoints. This is even understood in the New Testament. As Christ, he gave spiritual gifts to the body. But never did he give all the gifts to one person. You notice that? That when you look at all the spiritual giftings and, and everything that, that Christ has given through the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and for us believers, never at any time did he give all his giftings to one person. This is why in the body of Christ, we need each other. Right? You do this, I do that. Right? You go ahead and do this, and I do that, right? Now, uh, being a newer church, understand we have to understand that, you know, sometimes we have to put on multiple hats, right? It's understood, right? But when God brings someone who already has a different hat on their head, then we say, oh, I've been praying for someone who has that gifting in that area. Come on in and join us into the work of the ministry. So it's quite clear that even as us followers of Jesus Christ, that when we have our giftings, that we're supposed to stay in our lanes. Amen? Like you may enjoy me as uh, singing worship when I'm you know, hiding uh, with the rest of the worship team, but you get me out here by myself, you, you're not going to stand for it long. I can hear Sister Andre saying already, somebody go out there and get those rocks out here. And let's go ahead and stone this brother and tell him to stop singing. I can hear it now. So even when you get mad, that should never prevent you from operating within your duties in the ministry. When you get mad at your wife, that should never prevent you from being a husband. When you ever get mad at your husband, that should never stop you from being a wife. If you're ever mad in a church, that should never stop you from being an usher or singer or teacher or dancer or anything else. Because when you refuse, you are being rebellious. You hear what I said now, right? When you refuse to operate within the giftings that God has gifted you with, then you are being rebellious. When you are operating outside the lane that God has called you to operate in, if he has not called you to do so, you are being rebellious. When we rebel against an authority God puts in place, then we rebel, we rebel against God himself. So it's not only true, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's not only true within the church, but also true outside of the church. Right? That God calls us to submit and not rebel even against governmental authorities. But if they ask us to do anything that's against the will of God, that's unbiblical, then God gives us carte blanche. Amen? God never calls us to, to be or say anything that operates outside of his will. Romans chapter 13 verse 1. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So look, young men, when a police, well, young men and young lady, when a police officer tells you to stop, roll down your windows, and give you your give them your license, what are you supposed to do? Who do they think they are? They can't tell me what to do. Well, we know how that can turn out, right? That we are to do what? We are to come on. Submit to the governing authorities. Now, if they ask you to do something crazy, or they're trying to do something crazy to you, that's a different story. Amen? So Nadab and Abihu, they were rebellious. They offered alien fire because they were not the right persons for the position or the title or for the job uh, that God killed them. Why is the Lord so hard on rebellion? Why is God so hard on rebellion? The act of rebellion has its root with Satan. The act of rebellion has its root with Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 14. Ezekiel 28 verse 14. Speaking of Satan here, the prophet says, You were an anointed cherub, guardian cherub, or angel, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You realize that Satan, that he was anointed? Satan, the devil, that he was anointed. Now, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 Verse 13. So he was anointed. Check this out. God's speaking to him. He says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my, the stars of God are all the other angels that are in heaven. The stars of God are all the other angels in heaven. So you have this one cherub, uh, this one uh, 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 angel who God had anointed to do a, a, a particular work uh, that he said that you know he wanted to make himself above all that was in all the other angels that was in heaven right he says I will set my throne on high so not just be above them but he's going to set his throne on high I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and here it is. I will make myself like the Most High. See? Satan was not happy to be anointed. He wanted to use his anointing in order to displace and replace God. But God would show him and find a place for him. You see, God sees rebellion as an act against his holiness and sovereignty. Being God's anointed cherub did not nullify Satan's rebellious spirit. So you can be anointed on the one hand and still be rebellious on the other. Yeah, so you can walk around here anointed. Look, this is why in so many churches 
we, we try to figure out, we ask the question, but you know what, why is it that uh, that preacher or that whoever, you know, uh, with all the wrong that they're doing, why is it that people are still coming? Why don't these people get it? And why don't they stop coming? Because, you see, the anointing is still there, but yet, before God, that anointing does not destroy the spirit of rebellion. And oftentimes what happens is, is that when God, when, when God, when he finally comes, he comes with a passion. You know, he gives us an opportunity to repent over and over again. He says, repent, 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 repent. And then we finally don't repent. We're still playing these uh, old kid games, spiritual kid games with God. God says, you won't repent, then I will fix you. Think about it. Abraham told that big old lie about his, about his wife, or you're going to say about his sister, uh, about his wife saying, this is my sister. Well, yeah, technically, his half-sister, we can say, but he didn't remember. He didn't treat her like his sister. He treated her like his wife. So that was his wife. So he told everybody this big old story about his wife. And then what about uh, the apostle Peter being a hypocrite and taking sides with his Jewish brothers uh, over uh, the Mosaic goals of the body of Christ? Mosaic, uh, not as in Moses, right, and Aaron, no, but Mosaic as the multi-spectrum uh, goal of heaven to bring in all people from all nations who are made in the image of God to be saved, to come, to be a part of the kingdom of God came down to it that one time the apostle Peter he began to side with his Jewish brothers you see the difference with the sin of rebellion is that with the sin of rebellion you take a stand against God and it is something of a principled nature you know, sometimes, I mean, face it, I mean, you know this, you know this to be true, because I know you sin, right? You, you sin, you're like, Lord, I, I really, you know, uh, Lord, I, I, I'm really sorry, and I wish I, I wish I, you know, don't do that anymore, but Lord, I keep doing it, and I just ask the Lord to forgive me. But see, the sin of rebellion is like, look, look I'm going to be number one. So God, you think you all that? You think you created all this other stuff? I'm already pretty, the devil says. The devil says, I I'm already head and many of the other stars of heaven, they already look up to me. So since they're already looking up to me and, and the devil says I'm already pretty, then let me just take your place. Let me move you out the way. Because look, I got my eye on that throne. And one day, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight, and it's going to be mine. And then not only that, I'm going to show you about all these folks who are made in your image. All these people that you say that you made in your image, I'm going to destroy them. And you're going to see how nasty and how dark they really are. You call yourself a king? You call yourself the ruler and creator of the universe? No, 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 God, I'm going to show you, says the devil. And then God sends his son. Jesus Christ for us. For those of us who would trust in him. 
And then he asked the devil, now what? Hmm. Rebellion is a reckless act. And if you are rebelling against God, you need to quickly repent today. Finally. You may not like this one. Rejecting God's word is an act of rebellion. Rejecting God's word, it is an act of rebellion. Now, before you say I'm good, I want you, I want you to start thinking about this. Every area of your life. So if God calls you, if you're a wife, to submit to your husband and you don't submit, you are rejecting God's word. If God calls you as a husband to lead your household and you refuse to lead, you are rejecting God's word. If you are a child and your parent tells you to do this, this that, and the other, and you refuse to do it, you are rejecting God's word. You're saying no to him. So you think that, you think that, if I just say no to my parent, then I'm okay. Don't you get it? Come on, we've seen it over and over again. Haven't you seen kids that uh, really war against their parents? And then later you see something negative happen again, uh, to them? Have you seen that before? I've seen it more times than I even care to admit. A person who rejects the authority of the person on their job, they have a deeper problem. And they think that by leaving that job and going to the next job, that all their problems are going to be okay. But you see, if you get a problem with authority on one job, your problem with authority is going to the next job. You see? Because God tells us what? Even to submit to those who are in leadership over us. Right? Romans 1. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress, reject. Suppress, reject. When people suppress the truth, they deny God's word. This is exactly what we saw in the garden and other places in Scripture. What does the devil say to Eve? Uh, wait a minute, Eve, has God really said? You see, the first thing they come after is the word of God, right? When you live in this life that we live today and you, you, you're trying to share Christ with someone, one of the things that people always say is that you know everything in there is not true, right? So whether they know God or not, when, when the moment they say that you know everything in that, in that Bible is not true, you know they're operating with a spirit of rebellion. Did you know that? When those words come out of their mouth, when Moses was called to lead the people of Israel, his own sister and brother began to reject his leadership, believing they could do the job just like he did. Moses, who do you think you are? Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. You got to turn there or write it down. Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm almost done here. And they, this is Miriam and Aaron, these are the brothers and sisters of Aaron, uh, of Moses. You, you also got to remember this, you see, Moses was the baby of the family. You see, so when you're the baby of the family, 
you have the distinct honor of being bossed around by everybody else that came before you. So I can hear Miriam and Aaron right now telling Moses, who do you think? We are your big brothers and sisters. We have been on this planet longer than you have, and you're going to sit up here and try to lead all this? And look what it says. Here it is, right? Numbers 12, verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? There it is, rebellion. See? Immediately it goes against the word of God, what God has said. Has he not spoken through us also? See? Yeah, God speaks to you, preacher, but he also speaks to me, and he speaks to this person, so who do you think you are? They believe Moses wasn't the only one that could do something around here. While, they, while that might be true, Moses was the only one, what? Anointed for that position at that time. Rebellion is not just a breakaway from, but it is a defiance against any established authority, whether it is divine or of human origin. <laughs> but we have to focus on divine origin because it is clear if we can submit to divine origin, we can submit to human origin. Finally, 1 Samuel, last one. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22. 23. 1 Samuel 15, 22, 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's say that out. Repeat that after me. To obey is better than sacrifice. One more time. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen than the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, or even witchcraft. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion, here it is, because you have done what? Rejected the word of the Lord. When you rebel, you reject the word of the Lord. You know, these are serious charges. And if the Lord is speaking to you about this, you need to respond. But I'm going to say this in closing. That not only is this act of rebellion, it goes against God when you're doing things that God doesn't want you to do. But rebellion, listen to this, is also not doing what God wants you to do. So when God calls you to do something and you don't do it, you are in rebellion. <laughs> well, the people who called Jesus Lord, Lord in Matthew 7, insisted they were doing God's will because they healed, cast out demons, and did many other miracles. Yet they were identified as being outside the will of God. It was not what God wanted them to do. So today, consider your heart. Consider your heart. Are you doing what God wants you to do? If not, I invite you to repent now. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name.